Now, uh, Jeff wanted me to talk about maybe some practical implications of how we uh, use this doctrine of regeneration. And so I want to approach this from two different angles. First of all, I want you to think about friends or family members who are pretty clearly not Christian. And uh, chances are you have, you have tried to witness to them um, with maybe some measure of, of success in the sense that they heard you. Maybe it's gone pretty badly. Um, but I want you to understand afresh and anew that, yeah, we're to, we're to be uh, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So we need to be, you know, prudent in how we speak to people and be always be kind and gracious no matter what. But at the end of the day, they're not believing because they're still dead in their sins. And a lot of times people say, I'm not going to say anything because I might say the wrong thing. Well, obviously we want to say the right thing. We, we want to present correct doctrine. I mean, clearly that's understood. And I think everybody here would want to do that. We're not trying to speak heresy. But let's face it, sometimes you don't do a real good job of communicating the whole gospel. There's been times that, man, I should have said this. I wish I had said that. And you know what? Relax. Just relax. And the beauty is, is that that God will draw his people to himself. Now, I know how easy it is to use that as an excuse. <laughs> okay, then I don't have to say anything. That's not true either. Right? We're to go. And now you're going, you're not all street preachers. But your going can be talking to your neighbor next door. And... Um, uh, you can get into the gospel with them in various ways. And uh, let me tell you one thing that, I, that I've, I've learned that I do a lot now. When I'm talking to somebody about news, uh, you know, I'll, I'll introduce myself. Like this place I work out, I met a guy the other day. We say hello to every each time we're there. I said, hey, how about us going to lunch? He said, okay. So we went to lunch Wednesday. And so uh, we talked a lot. He's a bas- He really loves basketball, so we talked a lot about basketball and so forth. Then um, I said, uh, hey, let me tell you my story. So I told how I came to faith in Jesus and so forth. I said, uh, how about you? You got a story like that? He goes, well, actually, I do. He said, I grew up Jewish. He said his son was a pretty, pretty well-known basketball player at the University of Alabama. And um, so, he, so he said, my son became a Christian when he was in Alabama. And uh, he had an influence on me. And so my wife and I both were converted and were baptized and everything. I said, that's awesome. My point is, though, he's a Christian. Praise the Lord. So then we taught Christian fellowship. But if I had shared my story, then I could have said, what's your story? And I find that a very powerful entree into the gospel. Because, look, you're, you're, you're in St. Louis. There's a lot of Roman Catholics here. There's a lot of nominal people just like in Alabama, there's, uh, I, I like to say in Alabama, everybody's a Baptist and everybody's saved in Alabama. <laughs> you know, every, everybody in Alabama sees to walk the church aisle at some point, you know. But they're not all saved. In fact, there's a lot of people who think they're saved and it's clear by their lives they're not. So how do you reach people like that? Well, if you just simply tell them your story, they say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I got that. But when you say, do you have a story like that? Then... 
you can tell a lot. If they really are born again, they'll say something like John chapter 9, I was blind and now I see, right? But what I hear a lot from people is, oh, yeah, 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 I got to show you. know, my daddy was a Baptist preacher. <laughs> so, but that's what you get a lot. But what you're able to do then is you say, okay, well, so, you know, you know your story's not quite like what I'm talking about. Would you really like to know how you could, could really have that relationship with Christ? And so you can get into a gospel conversation, you get into a Bible study with them or whatever. Um, but uh, um, Peter raised the question a moment ago, like, okay, so how do we, how do we uh, incorporate the um, doctrine of regeneration into our gospel presentation. I think we should. I think we definitely should do that. Um, because I don't think it's, we're preaching a full gospel if we don't. So uh, let me give you this analogy. So I tell my grandchildren all the time that we're always praying for God to take out your cobra heart and give you the heart of Jesus. So we were years ago when my middle son lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They've got four boys now. At the time, I think they had uh, three. And so uh, one day, Marsha, who was about five or six, when we were there, was beating up on his little brother. Now, that's kind of normal. I hate to say, but, you know, those things happen. And so, uh, but I said to him, I said, Marshall, why, why are you uh, beating up on Graham? Oh, I don't know. Oh, my, I just, I just, by the way, they call me, oh, my. Now, you know what that means? That's Dutch for grandmother. Oh. <laughs> Somehow or another, you know, look, those of you who have, ha have young children, your, your kids probably gave their, your parents their name, right? I mean, that's usually the way it goes. My wife was smart. Her name is Winnie. She decided, I'm going I'm to preempt the situation. She says, my name is Gwynny. 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 Gwynny Oma. Anyway, I'm Oma. I don't like you, but it, what are you going to do? <laughs> there it is, right? Anyway, so I was talking to uh, Marshall. I said, Marshall, why, why do you beat up on your brother like that? Oh, I don't know, Oma. I said, I'll tell you why. You have a cobra heart. And you need the heart of Jesus. And I went through the gospel with him. I talked about um, the cobra heart. I talked about the filthy past. And I talked about you have a poisonous life. And I said, and God can change you. So he listened, and he's like five. A couple weeks later, my son's driving his kids around somewhere, and Marsha's in the back seat in his, in his car seat, and he, he says, Daddy, I have a cobra heart. Can we ask Jesus to take it away? He said, absolutely. So they prayed to ask Jesus to take away his cobra heart. And I bring that up to all my grandkids. So like when we're, whenever we're with them, like at Christmas time, I'll say, now, what is the one thing that you know Gwenny and I are always praying for y'all about, oh, we have a cobra heart. That's right. And when William was um, probably three years old, four years old, he was at our house one day. And uh, his little brother was one year old. And I said, uh, and I was outside doing some yard work, and William says, you got anything else for me to do? I said, no, buddy, I think I pretty much got it covered. He, got, he had his little hoe in his hand, you know, a little one like this. He said, uh, you sure you don't have anything? I said, no, I'm good. The next thing I know, one of the limbs off our bushes is broken off. I said, William, what happened here? Well, I don't know, Oma. I said, did you, 
did you knock off that uh, that limb? No, sir, I didn't do that. I said, really? He goes, no, sir. The next day, he calls his little, his little brother's name is Lawson, but Lawson came out Wasi. Okay, so he's Wasi, all right? So the next day I'm driving William somewhere. I said, hey, William, you remember what happened yesterday? Yes, sir. I said, do you think maybe you have a cobra heart? He goes, no, but Wasi does. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, but it's not funny, right? And you know, so so I love to I love the reality. You know, when little children are born in the world, it's beautiful and we get it it's, it is gorgeous. It's beautiful. But you know what? They really have cobra hearts when they're born. They have venom of a serpent. The, the wicked are strange from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray at birth. That's the reality. So you got these little beautiful little children. They're infants. But just remember, they got cobra hearts. And I'm telling you what, I'm not playing with a, with a one-week-old cobra. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm staying away from them. You know what I mean? My point is, I think it's vivid. It's very vivid to talk about the cobra heart. So when I share the gospel, when I'm preaching, I'll very often, most often, we'll talk about the cobra heart. And I'll talk about the filthy past. You know, in Philippians 3, it says, I counted all things but dung or rubbish that I might know Christ. And then I talk about the poisonous life. You know, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison who can tame it. I'll tell people all the time, I said, you're born with a poisonous tongue. I said, people destroy people all the time with their tongues. So I bring that all into the gospel. I'll talk about, and then I'll use Ezekiel 36, which talks about regeneration. It talks about justification. talks about sanctification. Like I remember one time talking to this um, young guy who just graduated from college. And I said, uh, we got into the gospel. And, and uh, I said, would you call yourself a follower of Jesus? He goes, yes. I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? I've learned to ask this question. He said, no, sir, go right ahead. I said, do you have a girlfriend? He goes, yes, I do. I said, do you have sex with your girlfriend? He goes, yes, sir, I do. And I said, now you call yourself a Christian, right? He goes, yes, sir. I said, the Bible says that fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals and thieves and liars and drunkards are not going to make it to heaven. I said, you need to reconsider your situation. And I said, I said, you know what? I said, I'll bet you've made, I bet you called on Jesus to save you at church one time. Oh, yes, sir, I did. In fact, I bet you walked a church aisle. Oh, yeah. And I, in fact, I remember going to church camps, and I, I, I asked Jesus to save me many, many times. I said, but it doesn't seem to, it hasn't really changed you much, has it? He goes, no, sir. I said, you know why? I said, when you're born again, you change on the inside. And then Ezekiel 36 says, He gives you His Holy Spirit who enables you to obey His commandments. What your, I said, your problem is this. You like certain aspects of the gospel, but because you're not born again, you can't break your sin. You just can't seem to break it. And don't we know people like that? And Now look, a real Christian will battle sin. We were talking earlier about, listen, John Owen says, the flesh is always attacking us. It's always corrupting us. It's always tempting us. It's always seducing us. It always works us over. 
But if you're in Christ, you have the ability to overcome it. You don't always overcome it completely. I mean, we're going to battle sin the rest of our lives. One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews 12, where it says that our righteous souls will be made perfect. When you were born again, you were justified. And that means that God, as you know, looks at you now and sees you as righteous in Jesus. But you know you sin every day. In fact, if you're like me, when you confess your sin, like in a worship service or whatever, I bet you're like me. I bet you find yourself confessing the same thing over and over and over again. That's not to demean the sinfulness of sin. It's just the reality. The point is, is that when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit who gives you the power to overcome it. I was talking, I was preaching at a black church on, on Saturday, and uh, the pastor called me today. And he said, uh, you really helped me. He said, I was about to get a divorce. Man. He said, I now see what you're talking about, about the flesh. I said, you have, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. He says, I know, I've repented. I said, are you back with your wife? Yes, I am. I said, well, great. I said, let's talk more if we need to. But this kind of, it goes on, it's everywhere. It, 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 we battle it too. So you've got to preach the full gospel. And here's another thing. Um, you can use this, this, this doctrine to your benefit when you're really talking to a smug self-righteous person who I don't need this kind of stuff. Like one time, Wendy and I took a vacation. We went to Moscow. And our nephew was teaching at a Russian school over there. He spoke fluent Russian and all that. So we went over there for a week, and he's, he's lost. I mean, he's foul. And, there's, and uh, we love him, uh, but he's foul. And so I'm in, we're in the Hermitage, and I'm looking at... Um, uh, the Return of the Prodigal by Rembrandt. That's one of my favorite paintings of all time. I love that. I, I was standing in front of that painting. In fact, my wife got me a uh, got me a copy of it. It's not the real thing, <laughs> but got me a copy. It's in my living room. I look at it all the time. Anyway, I'm, I'm studying this painting for like thirty minutes, and Winnie's outside talking to our our, ne- our nephew. And uh, he grew up in the church. But he's totally rejected. And he said, "Yeah, you know." I might, I, might, I might decide to follow Jesus someday. Now, that's when you pull out the election card, okay? And that's when you pull out the regeneration card. My wife says, you don't get it, do you? You don't have the ability to save yourself. You, you, can't, you are lost, and your only hope is that Jesus has mercy. And that took him back. But that's that's the way we've got to put it. My friend Krabendam puts it this way. He said, uh, you're in jail as an unbeliever. And you think you've got the jail key in your hip pocket, but you don't. You cannot get out. And you think about that, that you're saved, and God simply decided to have mercy. Right? 
You get that teaching here all the time. You know this. You know this is true. And when you really begin to understand it, it's like, this is, this is amazing. This is what our world needs. We've got, to, we've got to proclaim that to people. But the bottom line of all that I'm saying here is this. I want you to walk away with a fresh awareness. I know you know this, but with a fresh awareness of the utter inability of anybody to be saved on their own efforts. Not going to happen. But then I want you to think about the power of God. God can invade at any time. He can change anybody at any moment. I've listened to Tom's testimony. I think Tom was more foul than I was. But God saved you. And that's that's what he does. And so never never give up. You wait to you listen. You keep praying for people. And when you get an opportunity, listen, if, you, if they're loved ones, you've shared Jesus, they're not buying it. They don't want to hear it anymore, right? Like at Thanksgiving, you try to bring it up, they cut you off. You know, they walk out of the room, I know. But you keep praying for them. You try to get the word, maybe get a word in going through the side door, you just talk about what God's done in your life, you know, give a testimony of some sort. And they know, and you pray for an open door. Paul asked the Ephesians and Colossians both to pray for an open door. And you ask for those open doors. But you, but you want to pray, God change their heart. It's not enough for them to have a religious experience. You've got to change their heart. And when that happens, everything changes. That's the answer to every question. That's the answer to every problem in our culture. Whether it's racism, whether it's greed, whatever. It, it, it's the only thing that will work. I've got a friend in Birmingham, he said, I grew up a racist. And no doubt about it. God's changed that man's heart. He loves all kinds of people now. He hangs out with all kinds of people. Paul Golden, you, let's see. You remember Paul when we were out preaching? Remember Paul? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And he said, good old country boy. But God's changed him. That's what he, that's what he does. And so until that happens... All bets are off. But when that happens, everything changes. Any questions before we have a time of prayer? Yeah. Um, in the gospel conversation, you go, you know, you address regeneration, the need to be born again. And then how do you go from that to justification? I just go straight into it. And I'll say, I'll say, um, uh, you know, for example, in, in uh, Ezekiel 10, it says, Make for yourself a new heart. And, and Ezekiel, I might have the, I might have the verses uh, uh, in the opposite direction. In Ezekiel 19, it says, God will give you a new heart. Ezekiel 36 says, God will give you a new heart. Well, how do you make for yourself a new heart? I don't know. You ask God to change you. God, would you give me the heart of Jesus? Would you change me? You call upon him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So, so um, can I just give you like a five-second snippet yeah. and you see if this is yeah. kind of a good... So, you know, why is it that you do that fornication or immorality? It's because you have a cobra heart. And since you have a cobra heart, you need to be born again. 
Yeah. And after the Lord regenerates you, then you can and you have the responsibility to turn away from your sin and trust yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. So the exhortation to you is you must be born again right. and then you need to turn from your sin. Yeah. Is that like a... Yeah. I mean, the order of salvation, I mean, that's a nice teaching tool, but they don't always happen. We don't know when it happens. I mean, you're born again and then you repent. We're not Arminians. We don't believe that you uh, repent and then you're born again. But we don't know. It's a mystery. We don't, it might, we don't know when the actual being born again happens, but it happens before conversion. But we say, we, I say to people, call in the name of the Lord. Ask Him to change your heart. And um, so that's how, I, that's how I get into the gospel with them. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? All right. 